Hi, and welcome to Strangers on the Internet, a podcast about making online dating work for you. My name is Irene Manta, and I'm a professor at the Maurice A. Dean School of Law at Hofstra University. I'm also a dating coach and a consultant for the dating app industry. And I'm Michelle Lang, a senior lecturer in psychology at Christopher Newport University in Virginia and a clinical psychologist in private practice. All views expressed in this podcast are our own and not our employers. Today, we have the chance to talk about what happens when relationships end. We are so pleased to have with us Amy Polacco, a journalist and divorce coach. can't wait to hear from divorce coach and journalist Amy Polacco today. Amy grew up on a dairy farm in upstate New York. Her educational path took her through Oxford, Ghana, and eventually the Columbia University School of Journalism. She then spent 10 years working as an award-winning producer and TV reporter all over the country, followed by gigs in PR at Pepsi and as an editorial director at Vassar College. Amy eventually became a health and wellness entrepreneur, and she coaches hundreds of women in business, and via her empowerment group, Strong Savvy Women. You can learn more about her at freedomwarrior.info. Amy, welcome to the Strangers on the Internet podcast. Why don't you tell our listeners a bit about your life journey and what motivated you after dealing with two divorces within eight years to help other women get through difficult transitions? Well, first of all, thank you, ladies, for having me here today. I'm super excited because I love your podcast. I think it provides such an amazing service to so many out there. So I appreciate you asking me to be on. I guess that uh, my heart has led me to this work, really, from my own experience and things I've gone through. You know, we were talking before we got started that I never in my life ever thought, you guys, that I would say I've been divorced twice, right? And I joke in my support group, you know, it's it's an exclusive club we're all part of, right? The, the club that none of us ever wanted to be part of. <laughs> but, you know, it, things happen in life and I've learned so much and I want to pay it forward. I want to help other women. I don't want women to feel alone going through this. When I went through my first divorce, I live in this cute Norman Rockwell-ish Connecticut town and I honestly thought I would be the only woman who was divorced. I would be walking down the main street with a big D on my chest and you know, I met other women and we supported each other. And I think that is really, really important for this topic. And that's why I love the fact that you are exploring it here today. So I appreciate you being here. You know, getting over divorce or breakup is a process, which I'm sure we will talk about. Everybody's healing is different. Some of my coaching clients paint, you know, others do yoga and other things. For me, part of my healing has been getting back to the writing and journalistic work I have done in the past. And I'm sure we'll mention that today, but talking about women's issues is really something I love to do and write about. Let me cut straight to the chase, Amy. What are some of the most important things to know about going through a breakup and divorce? What are some of your favorite strategies to tell people about? Well, first of all, I want to mention something I actually saw on Instagram today because I thought this just captured what I wanted to say today. It says, maybe you didn't get what you wanted because you deserve more. 
right? And that really sums it up. It's so hard to accept that when you are brokenhearted and you thought you had a fairy tale romance, which our society definitely conditions us to think we want, right? The Cinderella tale from from the point of you know childhood, really, especially for women, that's a whole nother issue. So, you know, letting go of that and knowing that's okay is important. So, you know, accepting that even if you can't accept it in the beginning, <laughs> you know, knowing that other people have been through this process and also loving yourself because as you rediscover who you are and you find your passions, and I help so many women do this through coaching, you know, some who have been home with their kids for 20 years or gave up their careers for a marriage or a relationship, right? But when you rediscover those for yourself, it makes the healing that much faster, you know, and you start to look at everything with different glasses on kind of like, why did I put up with that for that long? <laughs> you know, and you're, you raise your standards, you set boundaries, all of those things um, lead to a very fulfilling, happy life. You know, you said something about uh, the post on Instagram and how it talked about how maybe you deserved more. And and I'm always, um, I guess Michelle will uh, attest to the fact that sometimes I get a little, I get a little grouchy around that topic because I think about, you know, there's dessert the way we think about it. And then, and then there are the forces of the dating markets, right? If we look at it almost like an economic market. So let me just ask you, Amy, do you think there are enough good men to go around for all the good women out there? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. And I think you you knew my answer on that one, Irina, because I quoted you in one of the articles I wrote for NBC News, right, about the Tinder swindler. And I said, you know, watch out for the match monsters and bumble betrayers, too. And I think I started that article by saying I'm an optimist at heart, right? But even I became disillusioned with the online dating world because you know, you are more, I'm more the writer and you're the empirical one, right? But but the stats show that 57% of people lie on there. So, you know, I think the danger, and look, I'm a former investigative reporter on TV, right? So I used to chase people down with a microphone. Yes, I was that annoying person and uncovered crime and scams and corruption. But the hard part about online dating is people can pretend to be whoever they want to be. And I talk a lot about this and am actually writing a book about, you know, my experience and also as, as a warning and cautionary tale for other women is that if you are a good person, and I'm not saying we're all perfect, you know, but if you have good values and you're honest, you expect that other people would be as well, right? And so you head out there into that online dating world and circus, whatever you want to call it. And you are going with those expectations and other people are going with a completely different set of values and agenda, right? And so I think that is the difficult thing is that years ago, you know, your cousin Bob had a roommate from college. He introduced you to, um, and it's not that way anymore. Though I will say I am hearing more and more women saying that they are getting offline and they are just saying, you know, leaving it up to fate, 
if I meet somebody picking out, you know, lettuce in the grocery store or whatever happens, happens or doesn't happen, I'm okay with it, but I'm just done with this. I've noticed that also uh, that, that a lot of women are just saying like, I am, I am just leaving the apps behind. And I mean, one of the, your topics of interest and specialties is how people should deal with narcissists, both in terms of avoiding them and in terms of breaking up with them. And we've talked about that on the show a bit. We've had an episode about narcissism, but I would love to get your insights on, uh, on those topics. Right. I mean, obviously, I think you guys have talked about so well, uh, both of you, about the warning signs to look for, right? The love bombing, the moving quickly, you know, the manipulation, the cognitive dissonance where you feel like you're going crazy because nothing is matching up, right? And once again, we're kind of taught as women that love was supposed to be that way. Like that's what we saw in the movies where they did everything, you know, for us. And, you know, some people said in the Tinder swindler, for example, right? Well, how could they have fallen for him? And, you know, weren't there the signs? But just remember, we're taught that's how it's kind of supposed to be. So you think, especially if you've had several bad relationships, you might say, well, it's finally my time. I'm finally getting a good guy, <laughs> right? So, you know, that's obviously the, the whole topic of not falling for them. Once you are embroiled with them, I think it's really important to plan your exit uh, and, and protect yourself because I coach so many women and some women come to me, you guys who, who are stuck in a marriage or relationship, they can't escape. And they're kind of trying to get their ducks in a row because they're trapped and they're trapped by financial abuse. They're trapped by all sorts of control. They're tracked in some cases and all of these things, right? So there is the physical abuse component to domestic abuse. And I call it domestic abuse, not domestic violence for that reason. And then there's the emotional, right? So understanding how narcissists work is really important because it will help you extract yourself from the situation, almost play the game enough to get yourself out. If you understand the way they operate, what strokes their ego, if you go head to head with them, sometimes it can explode and they are looking for revenge because what they care most about is their outer image, right? So that's a really important thing to think about. And then setting boundaries because they will always, always try to cross those boundaries. Always try to push the envelope. Always try to, you know, hoover back in that term of like coming back. They never go away. They like to have like a harem of supply of people. And so when I was going through it and realizing that's the type of relationship I was in, I devoured every book and YouTube video I could watch on it. And I remember a family member saying to me like, why are you wasting all your time doing this? Right? Like, how is that productive? I challenge that. I think it is productive because I think that we have to understand what we were up against. We're not raised. And that's why I'm writing the book. I am. Nobody sits us down and says, Hey, I taught you about the birds and the bees. I taught you about different, you know, female issues. And now I'm going to teach you about what manipulators are like out there and what to look out for. So I think when you wrap your head around their psychosis, it helps you. I think that really makes me think of something that's a bit of a personal thing to share. Um, but so I have been married and divorced twice. And my first marriage was 
I married my essentially high school sweetheart and we had what everyone would consider to be all of our friends did. We did too, like the perfect relationship. We were just very in love, very well matched, but we were young and we had our 20s to go through. We went through some really different things in our 20s. I pursued a college education and then a graduate school education. He was a first-generation college student. So for him, that took a little bit longer. And he was more used to kind of the blue-collar world and was working more in that world. And the reason I bring that up is because it really drove a wedge between us in some ways, our different life experiences. And not even only the experiences themselves, but our ideas about each other's worlds and how well we could fit in them. And so, you know, my first husband, I feel, to be honest with you, very positively towards him, despite what ended up happening with us. And it's been so many years now, but I'll tell you what happened at the time. So our relationship did end because of infidelity on his part. And it was just, it was incredibly shocking to me, as well as as I when I told my friends and family what had happened, like just nobody could believe it because we were the perfect couple. And so how could that have happened? And I asked him, I said, you know, how could how could you do this to me? And what he said, I will never forget. And I have shared it with so many clients since. I bring it up now because sometimes, as you said, there are narcissists out there and there are some key signs to look for in them where they can be incredibly selfish, self-focused, self-protective and and just use other people as means to an end. But in this case, this was a good man who was young, immature in some ways. And what he said to me when I said, how could you do this to me? He said, I wasn't thinking about you. And while that might sound bad, I actually was relieved by it because it didn't hurt as much. I think if he had been thinking about me, you know, he probably wouldn't have done it, but it just goes to show at least he didn't think about me and then decide to do it callously, like who cares about her feelings? Uh, You know, in a weird kind of way, I was kind of glad to know that he was just being selfish, not selfish and callous or selfish and narcissistic. And so I know there are some men out there and and not just men, of course, uh, people of any gender out there like this, but to come back to the point that, that you guys had brought up earlier about Irina had asked, are there enough good men out there for women? And Amy, you said, no, um, you know, I think that is a reality that people need to to encounter and to think about what they're going to do with. So, you know, Amy, you have spoken about your passion is really helping women to empower themselves and to have happy, healthy, successful lives and relationships. And I know Irina and I, of course, want that too. You know, our passion with this podcast is to help people know what to look for in the dating world, red flags and green flags, but also to help people challenge themselves towards their own personal growth. So my hope would be somebody like my first ex-husband would listen to a podcast like this or hear advice like, you know, maybe you've done things like be really selfish. If you don't want to be that way, you know, work on yourself, figure out ways to not be that way. And so I, I certainly will say, I hope that things like our podcast, other resources out there might help shift that balance so that one day we can say there are enough good men for the women out there. Maybe there weren't, but maybe some of those men have grown and invested in their personal development. I also just kind of want to add that uh, the statistics are a little gendered there in terms of men being less 
emotionally developed, having less on average emotional intelligence, more on average narcissistic traits and selfish relationship decision making. We certainly hope that even if the statistics look kind of scary for women, particularly in heterosexual relationships, that there's hope for all if people are willing to invest in their own growth. And then while you're dating, to be willing and to understand the importance of looking out for both red flags and green flags. So I wanted to point that out. And I also love what you said about, in the meantime, if there aren't good candidates for you in the dating pool, Absolutely. Take the time to enjoy yourself, enjoy your own interests. Dating doesn't have to be the be all end all. If the apps aren't working for you, take some time off of the apps, look to meet people in real life. But the apps are such a great source of exposing you to people that you might not otherwise meet. They're not all bad. And so we really are hoping to help our listeners think about when can they be useful? It's okay to take a break, but to learn to spot those red and green flags of people on the apps. And so I know your focus is largely on helping women bounce back from a divorce. And I think if you come out of a divorce, having had a bad experience, obviously it's led to divorce. And in the cases you were mentioning with narcissistic partners, it does make people a little wary coming back into the dating pool. I'm scared, I've been hurt before. How can I get excited about going back into this? Are those conversations you have with your clients? What are some common fears that come up and what strategies do you give them to address those fears? Sure. And I just want to say that I agree with everything you said. (laughs) I am an optimist at heart and I do hope that we as a society raise more good men. I have a 14-year-old son and I certainly lecture him a lot about these topics. He's not dating, don't worry. Not yet. (laughs) But I, I agree with you. So as far as getting over a relationship like this and moving forward. It's funny. I just this morning, I was on a Zoom with a trauma therapist and we were talking about this particular issue and I'm having her at my support group meeting to talk about moving on and trusting again. Because I think that I want to address what you said too, Michelle, which is absolutely right, that not every selfish person out there is a narcissist, man or woman, right? And I know that word has been thrown around so much the past few years, especially. But when it is someone who truly, you know, they're usually not diagnosed, as you know, with narcissistic personality disorder, but, you know, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck and they're, you know, behaving that way, right? And, and, you know, I think it's safe to say they have narcissistic behaviors, right? So, the real devastating part about being in a relationship with someone like that is that they can often shake your entire worldview. And when we talk about cognitive dissonance, that means like you, your head almost can't wrap itself around the reality. You can't believe that is the reality. And one myth I really like to bust every time I have a chance is that narcissists and and manipulators like this prey on down and out weak women. It's not true. A lot of times they go after successful, highly intelligent, strong women. And even those women can be duped because they're really, really good at what they do. So afterwards, your inner voice and intuition, you know, is there, but you don't trust it as much, right? Like sometimes you'll say to yourself, and I coach many women, through this, and I've been through it myself, where you think, oh, wait a minute, you know, you start, it can go in two ways. One, you can see a red flag in every single thing they do. You're on the first date, they put their 
glass down a certain way. You're like, oh, that was just like so-and-so, you know, oh, I'm out of here. Or you can really see alarming red flags and talk yourself out of it. These are the two extremes, right? Saying, oh, well, not everybody could be as bad as my last, you know, partner. Maybe I'm imagining it. So finding that middle ground where you are still optimistic and looking for a healthy relationship, but you are also trusting your gut. I think that takes time to develop. I think that women should start dating a little bit and, and see how it goes. How How is their, their rudder, you know, helping them? How is it directing them at that point? And you might need to bounce that off a coach or a therapist or some friends like, hey, this happened to me. What do you think? To get that validation that you're not crazy. Because let's remember in a psychological abuse situation, just like that movie Gaslight, that gaslighting is named for, you know, the wife was made to think she was crazy. Right? So we are made to think we are crazy. And, and it, it's hard to come back from that. You don't just flip a switch. And it is a process. So I think everyone should be kind to themselves, love themselves, surround themselves within a support group or with, you know, a team and a a partner, a friend that they can share some of these experiences with. Does that make sense? I think so. And I think, so if I could sum up some of the things that you were saying there, one, which resonates very much with what I often end up talking to clients about, not just in terms of dating, but anything that where they're once bitten, twice shy is essentially imagine a fence around you and that's your boundaries, wherever the fence is. And we talk about, and, and that's really your comfort zone, the boundaries of your comfort zone. And we talk about if you want to expand your comfort zone, the way to do it is not to take a flying leap off the fence. The way is to step a foot outside of the fence and see if it feels safe just a little bit outside of your comfort zone before you take that dive. And, and so, in fact, I don't encourage people to take a dive. I take the, I encourage them to take a small step and they've built their fence out a little farther. And then if that goes well, maybe they'll feel encouraged to take another small step. And so I think that really translates nicely with what you're saying in this case is, so if your confidence in yourself or your picker or your instinct has been shaken, then you can start by doing what you would consider like a small risk, like go out to coffee with somebody rather than decide that they might be the next, the one type of thing. And so let it gradually build based on these small risk tiptoes outside of your comfort zone as you expand it. And then I also love what you said about make use of the supports around you, whether that be a therapist or whether it be family or friends or, or a coach, because those are the people who will help you to regain your confidence. They can reflect back to you what you said to them that resonates as true, and they can reflect back to you parts of your personality that you might be questioning at this point, whereas they say, no, no, this is really you, this is really true about you, um, and, and can help you rebuild that confidence in yourself and in your own ability to detect how you feel about things, if there are trusted others. So often, People think it's a sign of weakness to reach out for help when really it's a sign of intelligence and and allows you, it's the whole two heads can be better than one if they're safe, trusted heads. And, and you know, what you were saying also reminded me of a third thing I would add in, and I'd be curious to see how much this comes up with your clients as well. 
But this also makes me think of clients who do feel shaken and say, you know, if I'm being honest, my ex had these problematic behaviors, whether it's narcissism or something else. And, and that seems to be a pattern. Why do I end up being attracted to men like this? And you know, like one answer could be, there's a lot of men or women, whoever it is that they're dating out there like this. But I am not afraid to say to clients, you know, maybe it is you to some degree. And in that case, let's look at what about you might contribute to you being attracted to this type of person. And not to say that, that that means you're irredeemable. In fact, it's that advice is very much based on the idea of we're capable of change and of growth. And so if there's something about you that is allowing you to settle for, hearkening back to what you were saying towards the beginning of this chat about if you are tending to settle for people who are kind of less than what you are worth, then maybe there is some insecurity within you that's allowing you to believe that's all you deserve. And if we work on developing your own confidence in yourself, de developing if there's anything about yourself that you really don't like, whether it's something you feel to be true, deep, dark within, or if it's something that your ex kind of picked up on and called you out on and said, well, nobody would ever want to be with you. You have this or that wrong with you. You know, you can work on that thing. It doesn't have to always be true about you. So I say, if there's something about yourself that you're afraid has contributed to where you find yourself today, let's acknowledge that and let's figure out what you can do to change it. In some ways, that's a better strategy because it doesn't involve anyone else, reliance on anyone else. It just involves reliance on yourself. Does that come up in conversations with your clients? Exactly. And I think it harkens back to what we were talking about at the beginning is that if you are someone who is all in, a good person who's not going to give up on something, you know, narcissists know that. And that may be a great quality in your business and career life. But if they see that at the start of a relationship, I think they will sometimes say I can get away with a lot. Like she, so many times I hear of women just like me who went to four or five different marriage counselors, you know, because they didn't want to get divorced again. They were determined to make it work. They were committed, but you can't make something work when the other person is not in the game. Right. So I think that being aware of that too, you know, it's, it's a strength, but can also be an Achilles heel. I know, Irina, you wanted to chime in. <laughs> yeah, well, two things, although they're, I guess they're related too. And, and this has been said in other places also, that it, it's not so much of a question of why do I attract narcissists? Everybody attracts narcissists. It's just that some people are better at getting rid of them faster, right? So it's not like if you interacted with, you're, you're, everyone is probably going to interact with one at some point. But as Michelle was saying, Amy, as you're saying, it's a question of, do you recognize those behaviors? Do you recognize those boundary violations? And how long does it take you to say, no, I don't want this in my life? And you also have to get to the recognition, I think, that there is nothing they can offer you that is going to make that worth it. So I'm wondering, Amy, if you can A, comment on that, and B, also talk a little bit about what you do with clients who they're just not into the whole I'm going to be painting now thing. Like they're not into hobbies or, you know, getting together with large supportive groups of women or, you know, like that whole, let's call it that whole kumbaya vibe. That's wonderful for some people. And for some people, it's just not their thing. So 
What do we do with those folks? Please go ahead. Okay, so part one, (laughs) I think that, as you said so well, you know, it's about getting rid of the manipulators and the bad apples quicker, right? And so this is, it's like a muscle. It's like going to the gym, right? It's, you get better and better at it. You look back and, you know, maybe you realize something on a third date one time, but the next person you go out with, you realize it on the first, right? Uh, I know that's happened to me where I thought, okay, I should have known that, you know, blah, 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 right? So I think that that's an important thing. And then, yes, I do have coaching clients who don't want to come to the support group meetings. They want to do their healing alone, and that's fine. I work with them one-on-one to figure out what their passions are. It's easy to figure out what lights someone up. You can see it in their face and the way they you know, carry themselves when they talk about something they really care about. And in some cases, I am coaching women who have been in a bad relationship sometimes for 20 plus years. So they almost forgot who they were. They forgot what they loved. They, you know, and it's like peeling back the layers of the onion about what makes them happy in their lives and helping them focus on that. And for some, it's a career change and maybe it's throwing themselves into work or going and starting a new career. You know, it really is different for everybody, but I notice one common theme and, you know, it could be also the area I'm in, Fairfield County, Connecticut, where, you know, that we have a lot of successful executive types and Wall Street and hedge fund types. And in some cases, not all, but the wives have stayed home and they've kind of taken one for the team and sacrificed their career in in many ways for the family and been focused so much on the kids that they forget who they are as a person. And so that is, is a process for them. I have some clients who like watching, you know, YouTube videos about things like this, you know, and learning that way as opposed to interacting with other people. So I think it, it really depends on the person. In addition to having to rediscover yourself when you are going through a divorce, something I've noticed, because I am somebody who, after having been divorced, has been on the apps and has been in groups of single people, like social groups online, where I see the way people talk about dating on the apps. And something that comes up sometimes is, not for everyone, but there is a healthy percentage of people out there who don't want to date somebody who's been divorced. They would prefer not to. I always find that really interesting. And in fact, like when one of my friends was telling me she was newly single and she was going on the apps and we were talking about, well, what kind of person are you looking for? And she's like, well, I don't think I want to date anybody divorced. And I said, why not? And, you know, it's so funny that she would say that to me as a divorced person, you know, who is also single. Um, But she just worried, as some people do, about baggage, like how through are they with the prior relationship or do they not take relationships seriously? I'm not sure what other stigmas people have because I never really looked at it that way. And what I told her, and in my opinion is, I actually think sometimes there might be pros to dating somebody who is divorced because two things that stand out about divorced people to me, not true of every divorced person, but again, if you're playing your averages, um, one is they value commitment. (laughs) You know, they were willing to get married at some point and nobody entered into that thinking 
this is a relationship that I only want to last temporarily and then go through this painful process and be divorced. That's not what anyone intends when they get married. And so I think the fact that you have been divorced means you believe in the idea of marriage and that level of long-term commitment. I also think that it, actually, I guess I have three things, because I also think the decision to get divorced is often a brave decision, is the decision to say, this no longer works for me. And even though there's going to be some difficulties in terms of making this change in my life and moving in a different direction, it's more important to be authentic to myself and to my future than it is to just kind of stubbornly cling on to a decision that I made at one point if the factors that weighed into that decision are no longer true. So to me, I also see that as a strength, somebody who is willing to continuously reassess the situation. And if it is no longer working for them, and if they have tried to make it work and, and it just isn't, that they're willing to not just stubbornly hang on to something that's no longer working. And then the third thing is I think that most people would prefer not to be divorced twice or multiple times. And so if they've already been divorced, I would wonder if perhaps they are more discriminating than your average person about who they are willing to enter into committed relationships with. That may be different in terms of just casual dating. But for those looking for committed relationships, I think most of us who have been through a divorce would prefer not to go through that process again if we could help it. And so might not be so quick to fall fast for somebody or make an erroneous decision to become serious with somebody. So personally, I've never seen it as a bad thing dating divorced people, but I know that there are some stigmas out there. So I'm curious for you, Amy, what stigmas have you seen that your clients as divorcees face? And what ideas do you have about how to combat that? I guess I would say, Michelle, that I have not heard from my clients that they have face that kind of stigma per se. But I have to say that I agree with you about people who have been divorced because I do think it helps them hone in on what they want in life, what kind of partner they're looking for. It shows, as you said, they are capable of a commitment. We certainly can't generalize about everyone in any category, right? But someone who has not had a serious long-term partnership could also be a red flag because are they not interested in that? Are they not capable of that, right? So I think that people who say, oh, I don't want to date anyone divorced, then you're looking for someone who's possibly widowed or someone who has never been married, right? And so I think, you know, it really depends on the person. I have a friend who met the love of her life, her second marriage, and it was a guy who had never been married before and they are blissfully happy. So you just don't know, right? I don't think that there is as much of stigma now as there was years ago, perhaps. Though I think if you had asked me years ago what I thought of someone who had been divorced twice, I'll admit I was probably like, hmm, maybe they have a problem with relationships. And now I'm one of those people. But I think that as it has become more common, I think it's less stigmatized. I also wonder if there could be a gendered issue there and even a self-selection bias. Maybe your clients don't mention it because the people who have the problem with dating divorced people aren't dating your clients. Um, but True. I remember one time I had gone on a date with somebody and, or I'd gone on several dates with him at this point. And we were talking about how 
my sister's wedding was coming up, my younger sister's wedding. And he's like, oh, what's that like to have the younger sister get married before you? And I go, oh, actually, she didn't get married before me. I've been married before. Um, it didn't work out. And so we you know, moved on in the conversation, whatever. It was like a date or so later where he was like, oh, yeah, I also am divorced. And so he hadn't even brought it up, even when he had that perfect opportunity to. And so I don't know if maybe there is a gendered element there where perhaps some men may feel less comfortable bringing up the fact that they are divorced. Although I will say in the online groups I have been in, those have been primarily women who have shown, again, not not all of them and maybe not even most of them, but again, some of them have shown some hesitance to date people who have been divorced. So it really could be just a more individualized thing. I guess, I guess I'm glad to hear that it doesn't come up as much with your clients. And so maybe the world is changing in a positive way where people are less stigmatizing towards people who have been through divorce. Yeah, I mean, in a way, it's almost like it could be almost its own form of slut shaming, right? Where it's like, what kind of a woman are you that you're not able to keep a man happy? And uh, so I think it's it's one of those things that unfortunately is probably still held against women on average, again, on average, more than against men. But yeah, it seems like of all the things you might have done, quote unquote, wrong in your life in terms of whatever, it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal anymore in 2022 for a lot of people. And that's a good thing. But another thing I, I wanted to ask Amy about is one of the concerns that some people have in terms of dating after divorce is how it's going to affect one or more children that they have from their uh, pre-existing marriage or, or other relationship. And I was wondering if you have any insights on shielding kids from any problems like do, do you think there is a right time and a wrong time to introduce kids do, do you have any thoughts on that and, and maybe you have some insights also in terms of how you've handled it yourself well i would say that obviously it's an individual decision in every case but the six month rule is a great one is that you never introduce anyone to your kids until you've been with them at least six months because you never Wanted know. Sign that. <laughs> right. Um, some people have it written into their divorce decrees that they cannot introduce people to their children uh, for a certain period of time. I didn't have that. But I think it's really important because, you know, you may be head over heels in the beginning, but you never know what could happen and you don't want to take your child on that roller coaster ride. So, you know, as someone who um, got married and, and blended a family and my son was part of this family and then we got divorced, you know, I'm particularly sensitive to that issue uh, and, you know, have never introduced my son to anyone since. So, you know, it, it depends. I think that the last thing you want is for your child to see people coming in and out and in and out, right? And I think you it's easy to keep your lives kind of separate, right? I mean, one of the the silver linings of divorce is that you have some time if you have shared custody, physical custody, right, where you have time to yourself. And I think in the beginning, that's really hard. I remember uh, someone saying to me, oh, wait, you will look forward to the time he's your son's not with you. And I couldn't imagine it at the time, you know, you're heartbroken. What, what will I do all weekend? <laughs> and now it's like, that's when I get my writing done. That's when I get my stuff done. Not that I'm looking forward to it, but 
so, but so you do have that flexibility, hopefully, where you have some time to yourself. And I think it's easy to be dating during that time and not involve your children in. Um, I think it's important to be upfront with them, age appropriate, of course. I'm a big fan of therapy for kids and adults too. But, you know, I think also, I, because I know you had wanted to talk a little bit about kids and, you know, how they deal in a narcissistic relationship and divorce, right? And I think the advice I would give there is the same for the dating is that they, they're watching and seeing a lot more than you think they are. And so they're aware if they see you, you are distracted and you're on your phone texting some, you know, a potential partner or a partner while you're with them, they see things that go on with you and your co-parent so I think being sensitive to that is really important in both those cases. I think this is one of those times too where our listeners who don't have children may have a specific opportunity to learn from some of our listeners who do have children who have experienced, as you said, Amy, the idea of introducing a new partner to your child, having your child get to know and even love this new person. And then for that to not work out can be so hurtful. You know, we talked earlier about the idea of some people after their divorce and entering back into the dating world are once bitten, twice shy. But like you said, on the other end of the spectrum, there are people who are like, well, maybe now I'm going to find my Mr. or Mrs. Right. And and they are so hopeful for that that they often actually, it's, it's very common that people will fall for the first person that they go on a date with who, who treats them nicely. Like being treated nicely is not just the bare minimum bar prerequisite for a relationship, but they are just so used to whatever had been going poorly in their marriage that they are just thrilled by being treated nice and having somebody interested in them. It's incredibly common for people to get into a serious relationship with the first person who they really have a positive connection with after a divorce. And so what you brought up now about how hard it was to watch your child go through being part of a blended family and then not having that anymore. A lot of parents who have been in situations like yours, I mean, it is so heartbreaking and so we don't want to put our children through that situation again, which is where, as you said, maybe that six-month rule can come into play. But I think the six-month rule has behind it a good idea that would be helpful for anyone, whether they have a child or not, to pay attention to. That idea of we can be blinded by infatuation in the early stages of any new relationship. Irina and I have talked before about, I tend to think it's about two months. If somebody's trying to trick you, after about two months or three, their true colors will start to come through, although some people are better at it than that. But I do think, you know, whether it's two to three months, six months, it gives all of our listeners caution about a lot can happen during those first few months, first half year of a relationship where you really get a sense of, is this just fun for now? Or do we have what it takes to make this work in the long run? And so whether you have children or not, I think what we've learned from people who have children who go back into the dating world is proceed with caution, proceed with optimism, be happy, enjoy yourself, but also be mindful that what it looks like during the infatuation stage may not last. That's Absolutely right. And I just want to add, and you know, it ties in something you said a few minutes ago about people f 
falling for the first person they date, right? And studies have actually shown that men really look to find a partner right away and are willing to settle for someone that is maybe not their ideal partner just because they don't want to be alone, right? And look, I'm sure that women do this as well. It's not just men, but some of them get out there dating when they are not ready at all. Like they're not even finished with a divorce. I think that's a red flag when you're dating because sometimes they will lead you to believe they're divorced. Then you go on the date and you realize they're still in a legal battle or they're just separated or they're still living together or whatever. You know, we I've heard tons of stories. I've experienced that, right? So I think that is a really important thing that the person has to be had that few years even to kind of feel out what it's like to be single. And also, you know, when you said that some people don't want to date someone who's divorced because they're afraid there's drama and things like that going on, there can be drama with that person's ex-partner if there has not been time for them to reestablish their new relationship. And if there are kids co-parenting, because I've lived through that, that can be a nightmare if that is still a mess and you are in it and then there's the three of you in it and it's not fun. I think that's a really great point to highlight whether we're talking about breakups from long-term relationships or whether we're talking about divorce and whether kids are involved or not. In each of those cases, there still needs to be some time for healing. How much time really could and will depend on the individual circumstances. But I do think that that is something important for any of our listeners who have themselves gone through a recent breakup from a serious long-term relationship or a divorce should really think about, about have I taken the time to do my own healing? Or if you're considering dating somebody for which those circumstances are true. And again, maybe even more so if there are kids involved, because that means there are co-parents involved a lot of the time. Um, You know, what drama had there been? Has it been dealt with? I do think it's a good question to ask if you are considering dating somebody who is divorced, what they learned from the divorce and um, how they've grown since the divorce. I think that would be a perfectly fine question to ask to try to assess, is this person ready for dating? Because I'm willing to bet, man, if I had to guess, I'd say 90% of our listeners would say they've encountered somebody who said, I'm sorry, I thought I was ready, but I'm not ready. And so if we can know to look out for signs of readiness and to take the time for our own personal development to figure out for ourselves, are we ready? Man, we could save a lot of heartache. Yeah. Can I just say quickly that you hope that they realize that and say to you, and I had that happen once too. And the guy said to me, yeah, I don't think I'm ready. And I said, oh, I knew that from our first conversation on the phone, right? But but the real you know, hard situation is when they don't know and they lead someone. So I actually said to him, you know, I'm glad you recognize that, but please don't go dating someone whose heart you're, you are going to break, you know, because sometimes going back to your ex, I hope this is okay that I'm quoting him, Michelle, (laughs) when he said, I'm not thinking about you. Sometimes they're hurt from their divorce, man or woman, And they just want to go out and and feel better about themselves and start dating. And they're not thinking of the effect on the other person. The other person's healed, ready for a serious relationship and all of that. And that's a mismatch that only leads to heartbreak. I want to throw in some caveats. You know, I was thinking this is not a situation I was in. But as Amy was saying, we're, we're talking more about people who have shared custody. But 
Michelle and I know a number of women who have sole custody, whether the father is in the picture at all or not. And maybe they don't have money to get a babysitter all the time. And maybe they don't have family help around. And so I, I just want to be mindful of those situations. We're not saying you're going to destroy your child and there is no way to have a dating life if, you know, you introduce the person earlier than that. And, you know, you might have to be more creative with like, maybe you have lunch with the person first, right? And you do other things in the time that you have, given that you might have your, your children every evening, but you might have to be more creative. But at some point, a six month rule might just not make sense with the way that your life is set up. And, and that's okay. You don't have to wait for your children to be 18 to be allowed to date or anything like that. I didn't take you to be saying that. And then the other thing is, uh, well, two more things. One, yes, there can be drama right after a divorce and there often is. But I think I also want to show some empathy to the people who, let's say they do have a narcissistic co-parent, uh, as, uh, as we were mentioning. And look, some of those people are going to keep bringing on the drama and a new boyfriend, new girlfriend has to be on some level understanding and tolerant. And yeah, of course, think about whether that's something that they're able to weather, but to not draw conclusions about the person they're dating just because there is someone in their past that unfortunately they can't get rid of if they're raising a child with that person uh, and what that might look like. And last, I want to say something about people who sort of jump in after divorce and they were not ready. I've definitely seen that. At the same time, I was uh, talking to somebody recently that's a, a therapist and she was saying that a lot of the good opportunities you might have, let's say about in like middle-aged are recently divorced people because a lot of the good men who are recently divorced get snatched up right away. So there seems to be a window between what they're not ready yet, they're trying to get their life in order to boom, that's it, they're off the market almost immediately. And they're also, some of them are also really swarmed by women on these apps. Like even if they're not, like they don't look like a model or anything like that. I think any man who is kind and well-employed and somewhat presentable, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is going to have a lot of options in most geographical markets. So I'm just complicating the story a little bit, but I am still largely in agreement with both of you. I hope that's okay. Yes. And thank you for qualifying that about the, I'm certainly empathetic to every single mom out there, you know, who may not have free time <laughs> or as much free time. So definitely it, it all depends on your, your situation. I think also, you know, some researchers have done studies about this, that people who can form healthy attachments are often already in a relationship, right? So that makes, you know, back to your question, Irina, are there enough good men out there? Well, a lot of them are in committed relationships because they value committed relationships. So there's an inequality there about the number of women out there and the number of men, right? And it also brings us back to the John Gottman research that Michelle and I discussed in early episodes of this show, where we just see that a lot of the time women are already doing the right things like being kind and respectful, even when there's conflict and not engaging in sarcasm and stonewalling and all of those things. And that a lot of the relationships that fail, given their communication patterns, 
fail because it is the man in the relationship that's either not willing or not able to do that. But I do think that brings us back to some extent full circle to what we were saying in the beginning. Part of why we want to get this information out on this podcast and have wonderful guests such as yourself, Amy, is to give people food for thought, give both men and women food for thought and realize that things can be really good, but it's work and it might require you to change and that maybe some of the patterns you picked up and it wasn't your fault, but some of the patterns you picked up from your parents were maybe not the best ones and that there are things you can do to choose a different path. Definitely. And I think, you know, I say often, and this is the motto for my business, you know, are you ready to take your power back? And that is about empowering yourself. And when you do that, you're happier in your life, you have more satisfaction, you have more peace, you create those healthy boundaries that Michelle was talking about. And that's when you attract the right partner. You know, I I know some people don't want to hear that because they want to find someone right away. But sometimes you could end up with the wrong person again. And, you know, we don't want that to happen to you, right? So that's what I am all about. And the reason I call my coaching practice Freedom Warrior is it's about, you know, not just freeing yourself from a relationship, but just freeing yourself from unhealthy situations, right? And so I think when you do that and you look at the world in, in a different way, it's it's almost like you're wearing a different pair of glasses altogether. And I think that you know, many women after I work with them or as I'm working with them still want a, a committed relationship and to find a partner, but they're not so obsessed with it that I must have it. It defines me. I, I can't even go to an event somewhere without seeing couples and getting upset. No, they're having fun in their lives. I want them to have a fruitful, wonderful life and find someone along the way, whether it's online or you know, at the gas station, wherever. <laughs> Amy, I love that. So have a fruitful and successful life. And if you happen to find somebody along the way, all the better. Amazing advice. Thanks for having me, ladies. I had so much fun and I hope the message helped so many out there. If you would like a free consultation with me for coaching, go to my website. I would love to chat with you on Zoom. It's www.freedomwarrior.info. I also run a support group called Strong Savvy Women in Darien, Connecticut. But even if you're not in the area, you can sign up to join in on Zoom. So we'd love to have you there too. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate it five stars so that others have a chance to listen to it as well. And make sure to subscribe so that you can get our future episodes. You can become a part of our community by joining the Strangers on the Internet Facebook group or following us at Swipe Strangers on Twitter or on Instagram. I would like to thank my husband, Carlos Farini, for sound editing, as well as Vlad Kuyujuklu for permission to use his music for this podcast. Bye, everyone. Bye.